When Bilam saw that there was no way that he could destroy the Jewish people through his mouth, which was his great weapon, so then he called Balakov and he said, I have other suggestion for you. Let's send women to seduce the Jewish people. And that's what we read about in this week's parasha, the war that they didn't have to take against the Midianim because of this terrible scenario where they seduced the men, they got them to serve other deserters and Hagefa, etc. So Rashi talks about those words where he says, uh, Hein, Hein are those women. They were part of the whole concept of getting the Yidden involved in, in misbehavior. And he says, Bitvar Bilam. It was by Bilam's suggestion. Rashi gives a whole lengthy, what appears to be unnecessary information about how exactly Bilam convinced Balak. And what we're going to see over here is that, first of all, Rashi is illustrating to us that the women were technically combatants. Secondly, that Bilam was trying to illustrate to Balak that there is spiritual power, and if you think you have more spiritual power than even the Egyptians had, nobody has greater spiritual power. The only thing that we can do is to try and get the Jews to sin. And Rashi is pretty clear, based on the Gemara, that it's not easy to get Jews to sin. You've got to work out all kinds of convoluted methods to trap the Jewish people. Moshe is upset with the Yidin because they spared women in the war against Midian. And he says, but they're the ones who caused the Avera. They're the ones who were advised by Bilam to do this. So Rashi comments on the words that it was on Bilam's advice. On his Mephorosh, he explains like this. Bilam said to them, Balak and his cronies, even if you could gather all the masses of the whole world, you'll never overcome the Yidden. Do you think that you are going to have more people or you're going to be more than the 600 choice war chariots of the Egyptians? Come close. I'll tell you a suggestion of how to overcome the Yidden. The, the God of those people hates promiscuity. Kideiso says Rashi, as it says, in the Gemara Sanhedrin, Sifri. And we're going to have a series of questions on what Rashi says over here. The fact that Rashi generally even has to tell us that this was Bilam's idea, we get that. Because this is actually the source of from where we know that Bilam is the one who advised the Midianim to entrap the Jews with their women. Even though Rashi already told us this information in Parshas Balak, when Bilam says to Balak, let me give you advice, and Rashi tells us again that when the Yidden started to fall for the Midianite women, uh, the, Moyav, the, the Moyav women, that um, it was on Bilam's advice. So why does he tell us again over here? He's moving there, we can understand. For Because this is the Pasuk that Rashi actually used as proof to his explanation previously. When Rashi comments on the Pasuk where Bilam says, let me give you advice, he says, what was the advice to draw the Jews into promiscuity? And he says, he quotes this Pasuk. So we get it. If you've quoted a Pasuk and now you come to the actual Pasuk, good place to tell us again, ah, this is exactly what I was talking about. This is the advice that Bilam gave. What we don't understand is, why does Rashi need so much detail? 
Who needs all of that? All of this information, even if you get all the people together, and even if you have the best soldiers, why is he telling us this? And just to understand this, the, the issue here in more detail, here are what? Five different questions. Why is it relevant to understanding the Pasuk to know that he said, oh, you'll never be stronger than all those other massive armies out there, especially the Egyptians? Basically, by the way, if Rashi does, for whatever reason, think that this is really important information, why didn't he tell it to us the first time he said this was going to be Bilam's advice in Parashas Bolak? And then we have this whole string of nuanced questions on Rashi. What's, what's Bilam saying? Even if you've got all the masses of the world, what does that mean? Maybe you are more than the Egyptians. It doesn't match up. It actually sounds self-contradictory. He says, even if you get everybody together, you're going to be more than the Egyptians? Yeah. Maybe you, Midian and Moab, on your own are not going to be more than the Egyptians. But if you get all Hamoyna Shabaylam, yes, you will be more than the Egyptians. So what's Rashi saying? After all, the Egyptians are one nation, maybe a massive nation, certainly not more massive than all the nations on earth. So what's the logic? Actually, the lack of comparison over here is accentuated, if you remember, when they wanted to eliminate the Jewish people in the Midbar. Moshe said, and what's everyone else going to say? All the Goyim are going to say, you could beat Egypt, but you could not beat the 31 kings of Canaan. That implies that there are more people in Canaan than there are Mitzrim. So now expand it out. Surely if you're saying, Kol HaMoyna they will be more than the Mitzrim. So what exactly was Bilam trying to say over here? It sounds completely illogical. Number two, on the other hand, okay, fine. So it sounds then like what Bilam wants to say is, yeah, but the Mitzrayim were like really, really amazing, powerful, great people. Okay, then say so. <laughs> he doesn't say that. What does he say? He says, Why does he then say there were 600 war horses? He should have said, as the Torah itself says, plus all the other chariots of Mitzrayim and all the threefold amount of soldiers that they had. Logically, by the way, you see how afraid the Yidden were. They were not afraid if it was just 600 chariots. I mean, there were like 3 million Yidden or so. 600 chariots was not going to scare them. So it doesn't, nothing adds up over here. You're saying, is anybody more than the Egyptians? Okay, logically, yes, other nations will be more. Oh, but the Egyptians are special. Well, 600 chariots, that's it? That's the big specialness of the Mitzrim? 
Okay, so maybe you'll say, look, listen to what Rashi said. The 600 best war horses. Not to say there were only 600. It's like 600 flagships. Okay, maybe. You could then extrapolate out how big the full cavalry was if these were, imagine that each one of these 600 was probably the head of an entire garrison. Okay, so you could extrapolate out and say massive army. Even if you want to argue that, it's still not so clear. Why not? Rashi could have used words that would have alluded to the fact that, but wait, there's more, like a vagomer, etc. Or not saying, shehayu, which is a limiting expression. They were, like as if to say, these are the full parameters. When you say shehayu, it sounds like, that's it. That's the whole number. Surely, Rashi could have chosen any way of saying things that made it sound like, and there were many, many more. So both sides of it don't seem to make sense. Bilam's argument that are you more than the Egyptians doesn't really make sense, because yes, they could have been, especially if he's suggesting and on the other hand, he makes it sound actually like the Egyptian army is pretty small. Also, Gimel, what is the Lashem Boyu Vasyachim Eitzah? Why is Rashi saying, come and I'll give you advice? Why doesn't he just say, I'll give you Eitzah? Dalit, question number four. Rashi is most of a Chulukidis Bechelik of a Sifri. Rashi adds, etc., as if there's more to the conversation. And where will you find the more to the conversation? In the Gemara, Perchelik, and in the Sifri. Was the Pashas, Vatsitzach, Detsion, Sumvod, Vuchule, divided the Protoinian, Vizazain, and Doim, Perchelik, and Sifri. So it sounds like what Rashi is saying is there's a lot more detail to the story and the interaction and the plan that Bilam had. And if you want to know the details, go look in Perichelik and Sifri. And actually, if you look over there, there is a lot more detail. We'll actually talk about it later in the Sikha. Truth is, why does Rashi have to bring the Gemara and Perichelik into the story at all? It's got a lot more detail than the Sifri. It's not, so to speak, Al-Asar. The Sifri is a commentary right here on the, on the Pasuk. Why are you bringing in Perichelik with so much more information that apparently is not going to really open our eyes to what's going on over here, although we'll discover it will. And lastly, hey, I feel that Rashi will bring an Eich von Chelek hat the Dach Gidav Maktim Sandem Zin for Sifri. Even if Rashi, for whatever reason it is, feels that the Gemara is relevant in this conversation, it should have been the second reference. He should have first said, look in the Sifri, and then in the Gemara for two reasons. Sifri is talking about our Pasuk. Sifri is the primary source that Rashi is quoting. And some of the language that Rashi has used is directly out of the Sifri. So it's closer to Rashi, should have been the first reference. Whereas the Gemara in Perk Chelek actually only gets into the whole conversation about, about Bilam's uh, plan only from the words that Hashem hates promiscuity, but without the whole first part that Rashi is actually included. So logically, Rashi should have first referenced the Sifri and then the Gemara Chelek. 
So from there is Mochach as does this Rashi zok to Yisab Sifri maintain it with signs them the Mochach from Aschalas Pirush Amalehem and Filatem Chulei. So that immediately tells you that Rashi's reference over here to the Sifri is not to say my Pirush is based on the Sifri and even the first part of what I said. Instead, what he's telling us is Vatam Val Dostim Mochach Pasuk Alein Bipshut Yisham Mikra, because Rashi says it's it's self evident from the Pasuk. In fact, Rashi is not even highlighting over here the whole fact that Hashem gets angry, so to speak, or hates promiscuity, which is the big focus of the Gemara in, in Perk the fact that Rashi's put the Sifri and the Perichelek together is almost as if to say, let's find the common denominator between the two, which is how much Hashem hates promiscuity. And that's going to be a vital part of Rashi's explanation. So what's Rashi trying to convey? The Birboze. Let's first look at what's the difference between where the Torah tells us what is ostensibly the same thing twice. It tells us in Parashas Balak right? In Parashas Balak that uh, Rash, uh, that, uh, that uh, Bilam says to Balak, let me give you advice. So there Rashi says, and what was the advice? Hashem hates promiscuity. Big difference. Sounds like a one-word difference. It's a huge difference. That parasha focused on the Eitzah. What was the kernel of advice that Balak, that Bilam gave to Balak? What's the kernel of advice? Hashem hates promiscuity. Here it's Bidvar Bilam. There's conversation. There's detail. What's that detail? So it's mashma zusammen mit der Eitze solch gewen a dover a dibur von Bilam was hat gehat a scheichet zu der Eitze the minute the word bidvar is used Rashi says ah it's telling us there's more conversation around the advice and we need to know that conversation because it's relevant to the pasuk von dem was so steht bei scheichet zu tanis moshe verwasmen hat men in der mechom nit geharge durch die noshim is mochach as der dvar Bilam is negea dafgedo and the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu at this point is rebuking the soldiers, saying, why did you not kill those women from Midian? And now he says, Bidvar Bilam, that means the Dvar Bilam is relevant right here when we're talking specifically about having not killed the women. On the rib is Rashi Mephorish, Nit no di eitzafun Bilam, dem Dvar Bilam. So Rashi feels compelled at this point, not just to repeat what we already know, what advice Bilam gave to ensnare the Jews in promiscuity, but the dibur, the whole conversation and explanation around it. That what drove Bilam to this conclusion, you cannot get an army that is big enough to destroy these people, so therefore we have to get them to become their own enemy. So let's understand what's happening here in context. Moshe is aghast. He cannot believe it. How did you keep the women alive? They are the ones who caused all the trouble, eventually bringing a magaifa on us. Moshe is not just saying, these are the women who previously were our enemies. He's talking now. 
Die Teine ist gescheitert zu dem Chomme, was mich hat gefeiert, jetzt mit Midian, und der Fahrer ist, weil ich gesagt habe, ich habe gute Erheul, aber ich mit zwei Milchamme. Moshe is talking now. These women are part of the battle now. He is talking right now to the people who headed that war. Das heißt, das ist, was die Midianim haben geschickt mit der Assembly, nur sie gewinnen an Öfen, wie sie haben gewollt, Milchamme haben mit ihnen, und sie umbringen nach meinen Netzlein. What Moshe is conveying over here is, you don't understand. This is not a conventional war where you go to the battlefield and you just fight soldiers. These are the soldiers. They are, in fact, the front line. These women are the people that the Midianim sent to bring us down. That was Bilam's whole plan. Bilam is absolutely clear that you can't destroy the Jews in a conventional war. So therefore, says Moshe, this wasn't a conventional war. Why did you fight it like a conventional war? Because as Bilam says, you can bring all the masses of the whole world and you cannot overcome the Yidden. And the river is, he has the war plan of Bilam. It's relevant over here. Here we have to know the Devar Bilam. What was Bilam's whole thinking? The war is going to be fought by seductive women. So who are the combatants? Those women. Who needs to be killed in the war? Those women. And that's why in this conversation, it's not just good enough to know the general Eitzah that Bilam gave, but the Dvar, how he saw it. Not just that he sent women, his Eitzah sent the women. How he saw it, he saw these women as the soldiers. Therefore, Moshe says, you should have seen them as the soldiers, and you should have treated them like soldiers, and you needed to have killed them in the war, and you didn't. And to make this clear, Rashi told us so much information of what Bilam said. Bilam says, even if you brought all the masses of the world, you'll never overcome them. Bilam did not have to prove that point to Balak and his people because this was absolutely clear. That just happened on their doorstep. Bolak saw with his own eyes the most powerful king, Sichon and Oig, who everybody thought could be invincible, and they had hired to protect them from the Yidden. The Yidden walked all over them like nothing. The whole power of Sichon and Oig was like nothing. It's absolutely clear, and Bilam doesn't have to really detail it. It's clear to everybody. Physical strength, whether that's because of the amount of people you have or the amount of skill and armament you have, doesn't work against the Jews. So Bolak and his crony thought, okay, you're right, we cannot vanquish these people physically. Let's take another approach. Let's beat them spiritually. Let's beat them spiritually. 
לכון אור ליישם הזה, מתנוכנס נקקח, ועשה עוד גהת, זין דקנו ויודע דאסליה. So Bolok says, let's do this, we'll hire you, Bilam. And in the same manner as we hired you to destroy the Yidden, Beruchnius, as I hope and say, when Bilam had the Nidke can't help in Gitach, so I've such an andere mention, with more Ruchnius to get stark and Kreis, if it's a break of Nidden. So Bolok and his team turn around, they say, okay, Bilam, we tried you, you didn't work, we'll find somebody more powerful than you. Somebody with greater spiritual strength than you, because physical strength ain't going to work, so let's find somebody with greater spiritual strength than you have. How if them I'd say Bilam Genfit Bilam say you kidding me? You're not gonna find greater spiritual strength than me, and I'll prove it to you. What do you think? You you have greater spiritual strength than the Mitzrayim had when they took their six hundred choice cavalry against the Yidden? What's he saying? What's he saying? That six hundred is a number? No. Let's remember who were these people? Where did these horses come from? What's the history there? He's not playing on the number. He's not talking about the physical might of the Egyptians because it's irrelevant. Because in this conversation, we already know that physical might is of no consequence. But Bilam's trying to show, look, they even had spiritual power and it did not help them. As Rashi already told us, where did these horses come from that didn't die during Dever and they were not taken out by the Barad? So whose horses were they? Those Egyptians who had Yeras Hashem, enough at least to listen to Moshe's instructions. It's not about the number. It's about the quality of people. People who remained committed to Hashem. And that still didn't help. When these so-called spiritually proficient individuals with their 600 cavalry came up against the Yidden, finitos, nothing to talk about. That's Bilam's message. You're not going to destroy them materially, physically, with might. You're not going to destroy them spiritually either. But Mele is moving. So therefore he is absolutely clear, don't think that if you're going to go looking for some kind of a spiritual superhero, that's going to solve your problem. Basically saying, you have to realize you're no better than the Mitzrayim, you have no greatness in spirituality that they didn't have, it's not going to happen. You're not going to overcome the Yidden. So what's he saying, Bilam? No external force can destroy the Yidden. But, what can helfen? What could work? Bilam says, you've got to come close. <laughs> this I've got to tell you secretly. Because if this information leaks, it will never work. Come closer. Boy, come close. I'll tell you something quietly. Debishta hates promiscuity. If you can get the Yidden to destroy themselves, that could work. Why is it secret? Because if it leaks out, they'll know we're coming. They'll never fall for it. A child learning Chumash could still ask a question. One second, Mr. Bilam. 40 years in the desert, we don't find that the Yidim got involved in promiscuity. What on earth makes you think that this is going to work? Nochmer, 
Remember the story of Shlomis Bas Dibri, who landed up with an Egyptian man. And Rashi says the Torah makes a big deal about it to show us that in 200 years of Egyptian slavery, one woman prostituted herself to the Egyptians. One. So how on earth is Bilam's plan going to work? If that's one woman, you can be sure that the same scale applies to the men. So the child reading this says, I don't get it. How did the Jews succumb? And in such large number, to the point that 24,000 of them were punished. Plus, the child still wants to know, what's the big secret over here? Therefore, Rashi says, ah, that information, go read the Gemara in Perik Chelek. It's not Negea to the Pshat, but it's Negea to your question. Go read it and you'll see the details of how the story happened. Says the Gemara over there basically came up with the whole plan, as we'll read about in just a second. But part of the plan was that they had wine. Basically, they set up all these fancy tents, as we'll see, and they were selling these fancy clothes. And when people came, they said, how's about a little bit of wine? And the Gemara says clearly that there was no Isser yet against uh, non-Jewish wine. So you have a bit of wine, and then the problems began. Until eventually they were sucked into promiscuity and avoid the Zara. Of a male, when Eden Walton gives one at Bilam, one says, Is If the information had leaked, the Jews would have been on guard. They would never have gone near any of these marketplaces. The Ribot is not beside Boyu, as Eden Zolan Zechnitir Wissen von der Mumius Vatachbola. So that's why he said, Come close, keep this as a tight knit plan. So it doesn't get out to the Yidden, so that they are not uh, willing or ready to, to uh, protect themselves. Still not 100% clear. So have a look what the Gemara there in Perichedek says, how they actually trapped the Jews. The first thing is he made this long road of tents. And the way they set it up is they had prostitutes in all of their tents, an older woman outside and a younger woman inside. And then they would have these uh, fancy clothes that they were selling. And what would happen? So basically what would happen is they would create an environment that was very attractive and people would come and they'd stop browsing, looking at the shops and whatever, and they'd say, how much does this cost? And as soon as they would put in a bid, the young girl inside would say, I'll give you a better price. Come into the tent, I'll give you a better price. Then go into the tent, just have a glass of wine. And once she gave them the glass of wine, it was a very powerful wine, and in the language of the Gemara, the Yetzirah suddenly blew up on fire. And then the man would say, okay, he wants to be with her. And she would say, here's my little Avodah You first have to bow to my Avodah and then we can talk. And that's how the system worked. So now you've got to ask yourself a question. How does this happen? The Yidin are in the desert, being sustained by miracles. They've just seen the destruction of Sichon and Oig, and the Canaanim the who were really Amalekim, and, and, and the, the, the Shiraz HaBe'er, and, and all these. 
and now they're going hanging out, dancing in the streets, drinking wine with non-Jewish women. How does this even work? They just saw the most incredible miracles, how their lives had been saved from ambush, from oig. They should have been at a height of dedication to Hashem, not this kind of wild behavior that made them susceptible to the Midianite women. So first, Rashi tells us Perkhelek why, because Perkhelek gives us the whole story of how it was possible for them to actually trap the Yidden. And then he says Sifri, why? Because the Sifri helps us understand how the Yidden were susceptible to this kind of behavior in the first place, that that effectively uh, made them vulnerable in the first place. He's not talking about the Sifri necessarily on the Pasuk, he's talking about the Sifri that is linked to what is discussed in Perkhelek. Sifri Pashas Bolok state, not our Pasuk here. Sifri Pashas Bolok. There it says, Once the Yidden had collected all the great wealth, having beaten Sichon and Oig, these massive nations, they became like crass and desensitized to all the wealth that they had, and they behaved in a horrible way. They didn't like a garment, they ripped it and threw it. Literally ripping animals and casting them aside. Because they were not satisfied with anything less than silver and gold. So anything that was like kind of second rate, threw it out. In other words, the Sifri tells us because they were overloaded with materialism, it made them crass desensitized, and therefore, Vayivat, rebellious against Hashem. That's what exposed them. That's what allowed them to behave in a way that was inappropriate, which eventually uh, allowed them to sin. So it's quite a powerful and, and sobering thought, actually, when you consider that our enemies can never destroy us. We can only be our own undoing, chas What's a deeper spiritual message in the story? It's very beautiful that when the Ebeshe instructs the Yidden to go fight against the Midyadim, he says you have to take revenge on behalf of the Yidden who had been entrapped. And when Moshe conveys the information to the Eden, he says, we have to go take revenge for Hashem's sake against the Midianim. The Rebbe's father explains why the difference. The Ebeshe cares for our dignity, and Moshe Rabbeinu cares for Hashem's dignity. You see a similar message that when Abishta tells that they should build the Kalim of the Mishkan, he says, first you build Kruvim and then an Aron. Kruvim representing the Yidden before the Aron, which houses Hashem's Torah. And when Moshe Rabbeinu tells Betzalel, when, when they together uh, put it all together, what do they do first? The Aron and then the Kruvim. 
Mit der Frau versteht man, was gefällt man in dem Schino und in die zwei Jahren, aber man kann es mir nicht bei allen anderen Zivilen. So now you got to ask yourself this question. Here you see, everybody's kind of protecting each other. Davish is protecting Yidin, Moshe Rabbein is protecting Davish. Why is that Dafka over here by Melchemes Midian and not elsewhere in Torah? So like the Asbor and Pirshashi and all this does mevor, so the Rashi we've just learned helps us to understand. The Mechama for Midian with Yidin is Bashanan in Tzvei Yifanim. There were two facets to the war that Yidin, that Midianim had against us. Alev, they have given the Mechama halten and umbringen Yidin, and behesem lazer kumt nikmas mena Yisrael. First and foremost, they wanted to destroy us. And Bilam said this is the only way. So for that, Hashem says, you've got to take revenge on the behalf of the Yidin, because that's who they wanted to harm. Beis, the eights of us, Bilam had given, and it came to the same as the Yidin, but Bilam didn't just say, let's destroy Yidin. He said, let's get to do something that the Yidin hates. So this was an attack on the Yidin. And to that... We say Nikmas Hashem. On the river. There are Ibish, there was this Metak of the Foyden Shalisol is Fundit, Sivoy, Madgish Nikmas Menesol, Zerkavano, Umzubrengen it. So if you look from Hashem's perspective, the most important thing over here is to show that we stand up for the Yid and go attack those Midianim because they wanted to harm my kids. Whereas Moshe Rabbeinu, who's most concerned about Hashem's dignity, says we have to fight to take Hashem's revenge. And Moshe Rabbeinu says, yes, of course they wanted to harm the Yidin, but look how they wanted to do it. They wanted to harm the Yidin in a way that Kavayochel harms Hashem. Zima, so we have to stand up for Hashem's honor. And that's why Rashi says something so beautiful. When it says Nikmas Hashem, that it's Hashem's revenge, says Rashi, because any person who stands up against the Yidden, it is standing up against Hashem. Why is it Dafka in this particular story? Because it's in this story that we see it clearly. Look what's happening over here. The way they stand against Yidin is to stand against Hashem, promiscuity, and Avoidazara. But the truth is it's it's across the board any time that any person threatens the Yidin, it is a threat against Hashem. On the river Zaktitoya do in Pashas Matis Dafka Bitvar Bilam, Nitno Atsas Bilam, Varam Doskit to Fashtain the Mechum from Mechemis Midian versus Nikmas Hashem and Nikmas Bnei Yisrael. And that's why over here, Dafka in this parasha, it doesn't just say it's the Eitzah that Bilam gave, but Dvar Bilam, the whole discussion, the whole thinking, all the, 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 what surrounds his motivation, so that we should be able to appreciate. Not just in this context that an attack on the Jews is an attack on Hashem, but in any context that any person who tries to attack the Yidin Chasvashanim, it is an attack on Hashem, and Hashem will in which Hashem protect us and take us out of the gollus and out of the clutches of those who want to harm us. We should be together with Mashiach now.